0: It's time to go under the hood with the Indy Fuel. And welcome to this edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. This is a special edition of Under the Hood as we introduce to you the newest head coach of the Indy Fuel, Doug Christensen. Doug joins the Fuel from the Manchester Monarchs where he led the team to a 39-29-4 record last year. In addition to that, The Monarchs led the ECHL with 14 players called up to the American Hockey League and also had the best record in the North Division from January 1st on the Monarchs won their first round playoff series against the Adirondack Thunder and then pushed the eventual Kelly Cup champion Newfoundland Growlers to a six-game series in the second round. Doug is a native of Milwaukee. He played his college hockey at Union College And then spent four years in the ECHL, as well as the United Hockey League, and then finished his career in Europe playing in Great Britain, which is where he began his coaching career. He spent five years as a head coach in the Elite Ice Hockey League in Great Britain from 2009 to 2014, once a championship coach, twice coach of the year in the EIHL in 2010 and 2012, and then spent 2013-14 leading the Great Britain national team at the world championships and led them to their highest finish in a long time in 2014 at the world championships in 20th in the world. And of course, Britain since has continued to build on that and got into the main world championship tournament this year and are staying there next year. And that's a huge deal for British ice hockey. And Doug Christensen had a hand in developing that since. 2014, he has been with the USHL as the Director of Player Recruitment and Development in that Junior League that sends a lot of players on to college hockey, as well as in 2017 under his tutelage, the USHL set a record with the most players drafted in the NHL draft, and So he went from there again to Manchester a year ago and now is returning to the Midwest as the head coach of the Indy Fuel. Looking forward to having him join us. This has also been a big week of news as the ECHL released the 2019-20 schedule and the Fuel schedule as well. The complete schedule has now been released As usual, heavy on divisional play. The Fuel will play 53 of their 72 games within the division, including 14 against the Toledo Walleye. We'll also see Cincinnati 11 times, Fort Wayne 10, Kalamazoo and Wheeling 9 times each. And we'll see the Cincinnati Cyclones a lot early as the I-74 rivalry heats up, as the Fuel will open up the year with four straight road games. They'll open up in Wichita on October 11th, then travel to Kansas City the next night. And then the following weekend, they'll be in Wheeling for two games. The home opener will be October 25th against the Cincinnati Cyclones. And then the fuel will face the Cyclones again the next night. So, a very backloaded schedule as far as home games go, as 16 of the first 28 games will be on the road. But after New Year's Day, 23 of the next 39 will be played at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum, including six consecutive games in late January and early February. A couple other highlights on the schedule that we see on February 18th. It will be our annual education day game at 1030 a.m. game against the Fort Wayne Comets. The regular season finale will be on Saturday, April 4th against the Comets and also The Fuel will be welcoming some different teams this year as we'll see the Rapid City Rush come to the Indiana Farmers Coliseum to play a game. We'll also see the Tulsa Oilers. The Greenville Road Warriors will make their first ever appearance here in Indy. We'll also get a visit from the Florida Everblades as well. So some different teams we don't normally see. In late November, the Fuel will make a couple of road trips, one to the South, where they'll face South Carolina, Greenville, Atlanta, and Jacksonville. It'll be the first time they've ever faced Jacksonville at Jacksonville. And then the following week, Thanksgiving week, the Fuel will head Northeast for the first ever games against Adirondack, Maine, and Worcester. So... A little bit of a different look for the Fuel on the schedule this year, but it's still going to be heavy on divisional play, heavy on rivalries, and we're looking forward to that. You can see the full schedule at IndieFuelHockey.com, and of course, you can get your tickets and reserve them for the upcoming season at IndieFuelHockey.com. One other thing to note, and that is on Thursday, June 27th from 5 to 8, Stop by the Indiana Farmers Coliseum and join us at the 2019 Indy Fuel Open House. You can reserve your tickets for the upcoming season. You can stock up on merchandise at our biggest sale of the year, learn more about the Nitro Kids Club presented by PNC Bank, and meet the team's sponsors. It's free, lots of games, lots of fun. It's the Indy Fuel Open House on Thursday, June 27th from 5 to 8 at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum. We hope to see you there. And of course, Hope to see you when the season begins on October 25th and 26th at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum when the few will take on the Cincinnati Cyclones. A couple of other important dates coming up in the ECHL calendar. The new league year begins June 16th, and so that is when teams can begin re-signing their players from the previous year. We'll also likely begin to see some signings of new players, free agents coming over from Europe as well as uh, college and junior players that are turning professional. And so we'll look forward to seeing the rosters begin to build here with the Indy Fuel as well as throughout the ECHL. But the main focus of our podcast today is our conversation with the new head coach of the Indy Fuel, Doug Christensen. First of all, coach, welcome to Indianapolis. Just describe your feelings about coming here to Indy and how excited you are to get started.
1: Obviously, I'm thrilled. Um, coming from the Midwest, it's an opportunity to come back uh, closer to home, so that's that's fantastic. Um, I truly believe that Indy is a, a sleeping giant in this league and the fact that the facilities, the, the it's a major league city, there's plenty of things for players to do with their families, and so um, coming here, it's exciting. Uh, ready to hit the ground running.
0: You mentioned India's is a sleeping giant. What does that entail? What makes Indianapolis such a special place, especially when you're going out to try to recruit players, try to build a roster?
1: I mean, first and foremost, every single player in North America has heard of Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. So you don't have any explanation. I don't mean that to, to, to... to belittle other places but everybody knows they can go to a colts game they can go to a pacers game they know that there's things here whether it's restaurants bars activities uh, throughout the community that they're going to be able to enjoy with the with their teammates and so that's exciting. You look at the the barn, and and, and I use that endearing in the mm-hmm. fact that it's it's everything's renovated, everything's new on the inside, but it has that old school hockey feel that can really have an atmosphere. And players love that. You know, players want to come in, and they want to feel the excitement of scoring a goal and having the crowd go nuts, or have a fight and the crowds engaged. So that part's absolutely fantastic. The apartments um, that Jim Hall has built are. Um, absolutely outstanding, you fi- you figure the fact that players have literally a hallway across um, from their apartments to the gym that they work out in with the strength and conditioning coach. Those resources you don't have everywhere. And so therefore, for me, there's plenty to build on, and we're excited to do it.
0: You come from the Midwest, you're a native of Milwaukee. Just describe your path uh, from Wisconsin into hockey to Union College and eventually to coaching.
1: Well, I can bore you uh, with a lot of the details, but I'll try to make a long story short. Um, grew up, obviously, as you touched on, in Milwaukee. I grew up a University of Wisconsin fan. All I ever wanted to do was play at the University of Wisconsin. I also, uh, My NHL team, of course, was the Blackhawks because we didn't have one in Milwaukee. And so I, I played all the way growing up. And uh, wound up playing in the USHL, which Indy had a team, uh, not at the time, but obviously after I left in in Green Bay. Then I went to Union, played four years, uh, loved every second, best small school in the country, uh, graduated, and then went on and played professionally for five years. And right at the end of my pro career, I I always had a, a desire to coach. And at the same time, you're kind of balancing with what other opportunities might come up. My agent at the time said, uh, Doug, I've got a head coaching job with full personnel control. Are you interested? If you don't take it, I'm probably going to. And uh, that was in Edinburgh, uh, which, was a, which is the capital of Scotland, an amazing place to be, and was there for three years. And uh, at 27 years old, started this, uh, this carousel and uh, got off briefly uh, for family reasons, um, but went from Edinburgh to Belfast, was fortunate there to win a championship. Um, Loved my time in Belfast. We played the Boston Bruins when I was there. We had an article in Sports Illustrated uh, by Michael Farber when I was there. We had a YouTube uh, that even Mariah Carey tweeted about uh, as our Christmas video. And so we did a lot of special things there. I coached the Great Britain national team. And uh, then I worked in the USHL for four years prior to going to Manchester. Had a great year in Manchester. Lots of really good people. Lots of good players. Um, And then here we are. So hopefully I didn't bore you too much.
0: That year in Manchester, how important was that just to learn the league and describe the year you had as it looked like you really, you're the best team, one of the best teams in the league, especially from January 1st on, and you pushed the Kelly Cup champs to six games in the playoffs. You know, it it definitely
1: took me a little bit, if I'm being completely Mm -hmm. honest. I think sometimes you have to to look at yourself in the mirror. I was out of coaching for four years, and I came back, and I think in September, October, and November... Um, you know, a little bit was finding our way, creating an identity anytime you come in as a coach, It'll be the same as this year, where you're trying to get a better understanding of the players, the organization, who, you, who which players you can count on in key moments. We didn't have any of that continuity from one year to the next. And obviously, for me, uh, then we started to really around Christmas, turn the corner and started identifying this is who we are. this is how we're gonna play. Um, and I also think that it takes players and I think rightfully so time to trust their coach um, and vice versa and I think the trust and the relationships you have with people uh, go far beyond just X's and O's and the players knew I, I had their best interests at heart because I did I, I truly cared and um, they they wanted to continue to grow they enjoyed spending time each other away uh, with each other away from the rink and at the rink. And then we just started to build some momentum. And as you touched on, we had the best record in our division from December 31 on. We led the league in call-ups. We had 14 different players on ECHL contracts make it to the American League. Um, and when we got to playoffs, we were fortunate to beat Adirondack, who was a really good team, um, in five games. And then we played Newfoundland. And quite frankly, um, I truly believe that the winner of that series is going to win the Kelly Cup. Um, I was right. And unfortunately, it wasn't
0: us. 14 call-ups, yeah, how important is player development to you? And it's kind of a fine line because obviously the goal is to win at this level but also to develop players for the next level. Yeah, how important is it to you to be able to prepare guys for the next level but also how good of a recruiting tool is that to say, look, you play for us, you're going to have a pretty good chance to go to the next level?
1: Well, you put two and two together right there. I mean, that that's exactly right. You, you convince players that – it's in their best interest. And, and so, so the people who are listening, you know, these players can double their salary in a day. There aren't mm-hmm. many people who can do that in this world. And, and so by doing that and by having players who are young and hungry and you have their best interests at heart and you're conveying that on a daily basis with how you're conducting yourself, how you're preparing your practices, how you're preparing your game plans, and they're moving on and they're having success, they're going to reward you. With hard work and effort every single day in practice, in the weight room, and in games, and so for the fans, they get to see these guys come here, and they're young, they're hungry, they're committed, they're excited because that's this they're doing what they love, and and so it all kind of ties together with 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 the the recruiting piece, the, the, the moving players on, and rewarding them for their their opportunities. I mean, last year, um, Indy Fuel had eight games or players on ECHL contracts played in the American League, a total mm-hmm. of eight. We had 288 in Manchester. And for me, that doesn't necessarily mean one's a perfect scenario and one's not. But what we're trying to accomplish is I want players who are young, they're hungry, and they want when they're here and they're battling in the corner and they're back-checking and they're going to the net – the fans in the crowd are like, that guy's working his tail off. And there's a kind of player that does that, and that's a self-motivated guy who's looking at his career as I want to constantly better myself. And whether that's here, somebody's in a classroom, somebody's in a boardroom, mm-hmm. the people who are wanting to better themselves every day are the people that uh, are really fun to be around.
0: How important is it to have that right mix of players, and what type of player are you looking for?
1: It's really important to have the right mix. I think it can be it's a there's a fine line between a rut and a groove. Um, and sometimes you push the envelope so much in terms of player development that you you play a tight uh, it's a tightrope but I also think when you see these players come back and you look at the players and the teams that can have success in this league they have those guys who who've played in the American League have worked their tail off have um, and also you combine that with veteran leadership, guys who are the bedrocks of your team. Last year with David Colematis, who was our captain. He's played in the American League for uh, hundreds of games. and he's a guy that can then point to guys and can help them in key moments in you know, 3-2 game on the road in front of a loud crowd and he can guide them and help them. So there's a delicate balance. Um, we want to play fast. We want to be physical. We want to push the pace. We obviously want to take away time and space. A lot of these things are cliche these days, but I think at the end of the day, you look at where the game is going. Um, you want to play fast. You want to play physical. But the biggest thing is you need to be making sure that you're pushing the pace with mm-hmm. and without the puck. And um, if we can do that, we'll be a fun team to watch.
0: Yeah, I know. You said when you were in Britain, you like teams with active defense. Is How much is that part of pushing the pace and really playing an up-tempo game?
1: Um, we had a lot of it in manchester we had a lot of it overseas i think that the best way to score goals is to play in the offensive zone Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i mean i I make that as a joke but it's true and the best way for us to get out of our defensive zone is to have players who can uh, break the four check with their feet they can make a good quick first pass and then we can go Mm -hmm. and um, we want to be a team that can transition from defense to offense quickly and uh you know there i think there's a there's a mold of defensemen that you have to have as well. You have to have your stay-at-home, physical, strong, defensive defenseman who can kill penalties. But I think if the more puck-moving defensemen that you have that can get up and join the rush, the more impactful you can be off of the rush, the more impactful you can be with offensive zone time. And then, of course, uh, you, know, you can hopefully have those guys chip in offensively as well
0: the relationship with the organization. The Kings in Manchester, notorious for being a very active organization at all three levels, same with the Blackhawks. What is the importance of having a good relationship with the Blackhawks, with Rockford, and really at all three levels?
1: Well, first of all, I I wouldn't have this job um, if it wasn't for um, the understanding of of my my relationship with um, the people within the Blackhawks organization that I've got to know year after year after year after year. And uh, hopefully they have a comfort level with me and I and I have the comfort level with them. Uh, the organization in Chicago is obviously fantastic. You know, you look at the recent success that they've had in terms of winning Stanley Cups, but then you look at how they've retooled and how they're growing and they were able to do that on the fly. I'm hopeful that we're able to be a part of that. Um, and that can be anything from... You know, a player that uh, is struggling with some confidence, maybe in Rockford, that we can come down, we can put them into key situations, or it's a player that, you know what, they want to transition from an offensive player to a third line center. Mm-hmm. So come here and work on that defensive side of your game, work on penalty kills, work on winning faceoffs, work on stick on puck in the D zone, whatever it might be, playing above the puck. And so I want that relationship to continue to grow. I want to be continuously developing their players. And, uh, you know, we were fortunate in, in Manchester to have some really good players, some really good people um, from the L.A. Kings organization. And I'm excited to do the same for the Blackhawks.
0: How much has this league changed in the 12 years since you last played in the ECHL to uh, now?
1: 12 years, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. that, that's that, that, that hurts right there. Um, no. Um, for me... Uh, I think the biggest difference now isn't just the ECHL, it's hockey in general. And you have a style of play that you have to be fast. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to be move the puck. And you the one thing that's always kind of been in this league is you kind of have to be a little bit of a Swiss Army knife as a player because you don't have four lines and huge rosters that you're going to have to play power play and sometimes penalty kill. You're going to have to be defensively strong. You're going to have to be able to chip in in different areas. Um, I think that the... the So I think, number one, I think the speed and the style of the game. I think the other is the physicality and the fighting. Um, when I was in the league... It was transitioning away, but it was still a major part of it. Everybody had to have their tough guy, everybody had secondary toughness. Um, the league has gone away from that. Hockey has gone away from that. And so by those two things, the professionalism has also increased in the fact that you know now you see these players. I mean, Bennington was in the ECHL, you know, just a couple of years ago, and now he's winning a Stanley Cup as a starting goaltender for St. Louis. The the view of NHL teams towards ECHL is growing, it's improving, and they're viewing it as a place where players can get key game experience to be able to prepare them to play at the next level. And so those areas have really transitioned and improved the league as a whole.
0: Describe your four years with the United States Hockey League and what that was like for you, but also the role you had in player recruitment development and how that can transition to making you a better coach here these last couple of years since you've come back into coaching.
1: Um, I loved my time at the USHL. The USHL is a great league and um, we are lucky we had uh, great leadership and the league was exploding and it's going to continue to explode. We really wanted to make sure that we stemmed off American players from feeling as though if they wanted to be a first round NHL draft pick that they had to go to play a major junior in Canada. And we were pretty successful in doing that. The numbers are outstanding in terms of the reduction of American players foregoing college opportunities to go to Canada. And with that in my role, I spent a lot of time on the phone with agents, Mm -hmm. a lot of time on the phone with colleges, um, which are really helpful now um, because I was able to build those relationships in a non-threatening, exciting, fun way. And, um, And so that now I'm picking up the phone and I'm, I've already talked to this agent for six, seven years. And if I didn't before when I was in Europe. And so for me, it's, it's, it was an exciting time to try to grow American hockey. I'm very passionate about American hockey and uh, to at the same time build relationships and identify talent and. Uh, all those parts were really applicable then, and they're just as much now because this league has a ton of recruiting mm-hmm. and dealing with the agents and dealing with colleges on a, re- uh, on a regular basis is a daily part of the job. And then, of course, uh, talent identification is uh, a key component as well. So it, it, it did me well and uh, still look back at my time with the USHL very fondly.
0: How important is that in developing players for this league because you have the junior A component in the USHL and the North American League as well through four years of college hockey? By the time a lot of players come out of college hockey into the ECHL, they've got a lot of high-level hockey experience. It's
1: really important. I mean, I think for me, whether a player comes from major, junior, or a player comes from college, the player, when they come here, we want them to be as ready for pro hockey mentally and physically as they can and I'm just a believer that it's it's common sense that if you take an 18-year-old and have him play against 20-year-olds, he's not going to do as well normally unless he's a phenom uh, than a 20-year-old would against a bunch of Mm 18-year-olds. And so for me, I think that we look at our team, we want the players to be young, we want them to be hungry, we want them to be passionate, but a player sometimes who might be 22 or 23 Mm -hmm. coming out of college might be a little bit more mature physically and mentally than a player is 20 or 21 and so that player 20 or 21 really needs to be special um in order to take that opportunity from a from an older player um but that's oftentimes those are the the younger players the ones who are most rewarding to work with because they're the ones with some really high ceilings and so it's a delicate act um but i think that uh, having experience working with players from major junior and college and obviously europeans um they all want to get better Mm -hmm. and that's one common ground is wherever they're from they're hockey players and they want to get better and as long as they know that you're doing that for them they'll want to play for you and they'll want to play for the team
0: describe what it was like coaching in europe and having the success you had in great britain and how comparable is the eihl to the echl as we see a lot of players going Mm -hmm. back and forth
1: it's a really good league it's a league that doesn't get nearly as much credit as it deserves, largely due to the player salaries and also largely due to the fact that 15, 20 years ago there was a ton of fighting. And so therefore the league has continued to grow. Great Britain hockey has grown, evidenced by the fact that the, you know my, my old team, Team Great Britain uh, is in Pool A of the World Championships. And so the hockey is very good. The game is growing. And what you see is a lot of very high-level ECHL players work their way to that league, and uh, the top teams in that league um, would be very, very good ECHL teams. Whether they win a championship or not, you don't know, Uh, but the top teams there are definitely ECHL playoff teams for for the people listening to get an idea as to what the level looks like.
0: How much pride did you take in being a part of the Great Britain national team with the success they had this year getting to the top division in the world championships? And not only that, but earning the right to stay there next year
1: um multiple part question the Mm -hmm. highlight of my coaching career to this Mm -hmm. date and most uh, memorable times have been coaching the national team um we are fortunate we were in the olympic qualifiers where you're going in and we won in japan uh, which is a four-team group we won that group to advance and then it's us latvia kazakhstan and france and the winner goes to the olympics Mm -hmm. um you have the World Championships, which are, as people who have watched it on television, the fan bases are unbelievable. The passion that the fans have. And there's something different. I don't care who what the national anthem is. Uh, there's something different when you play a national anthem at the end of the game. That the winning team gets their national anthem played. And whether you're playing, whether it's Great Britain in Austria uh, or Great Britain in Romania, um, the winner of that game gets their national anthem played. And those players who are from those countries are so prideful in that moment. It, it's special to be a part of. And to see my old assistant coach is the head coach. My old assistant coach is the other assistant coach. And my old captain is the other assistant coach. And the equipment staff has pretty much stayed the same. They're unbelievable people. And I couldn't be happier for them. Uh, I was choked up that I couldn't be a part of it. But they, it, was, it was a special moment, special group of people. And uh, it's a really fantastic thing that I was able to uh, be a part of.
0: What is the difference between the European game and the North American game? I know a lot is made of the different size of the ice surface, but what else uh, is different? But what can you really transition to the North American game?
1: Well, obviously, I think the biggest thing that is time and space. I think Mm -hmm. everybody talks about how important skating is um, in, in Europe. There's no question it is, but the space to the outside of the dots because for the fans who are listening that space inside the dots are the same Mm -hmm. and so the space outside the dots allows slower people sometimes to recover because they can take a a deeper angle to the net um, or a better angle to the net Uh, the player who has the puck might have a a little bit more time with it and so a player who is really skillful might be able to take advantage of that time and so I think the biggest difference is how quickly the game goes from the wall to the net, from defense to offense, and it's much faster here. Uh, the, the chaotic part of the game here is real in the fact that it, the puck goes from your defensive zone um, to the offensive zone in six seconds, and it's in the back can be in the back of the net, and, and it's and it's so quick because whether it's a puck played to the outside and then back to the middle the ground advice that that puck has to cover is just less. And time and space uh, and a lot of big bodies um, can create some chaotic moments, and you get more of that in North America than you do in Europe.
0: What did it mean to you to be a part of a championship team, and what was that like to uh, win a championship in 2012?
1: It was – everybody talks about championships in in Mm -hmm. some sort of uh, – uniquely passionate and, and fun way mm-hmm. and and they do it because when it's brought up you immediately go to some memories from that team mm-hmm. and um, the team in Belfast that we had we set every record and we went we were a hundred games in my three years there we were a hundred games over 500 but we only won one championship we lost in the final once, and but that team had fantastic leadership uh, they love to come to the rink every day Uh, They really enjoyed spending time with each other. And they were committed. And that part for me was just so fun to be their coach. And sometimes I think, uh, like you see the chariot racing across the street here at the fairgrounds, um, sometimes as a coach, it's kind of like running a Roman chariot where you've got the horses in front of you and and they've got to know where they're going. And the whole start of the year, you're just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting until the horses know where they're going to go. And at some point in time for every coach, you're letting go of the reins. Mm-hmm. And the culture and the team is going to move forward and either um, guide you to where you want to be or they're going to fall short. And um, you're continuing to try to, to lead them as best as you possibly can. But the culture and has been let started. That team, the culture, uh, they're fantastic. And they knew exactly where they wanted to go. They're holding each other accountable. And it was a special group and had some really, really good people.
0: What does the rest of the offseason look like for you as far as identifying the players who are currently on the protected list, uh, potential returning players as well as free agents and uh, both ECHL free agents as well as those coming back from Europe and incoming college and junior players?
1: So I'm going to talk to every player um, from the Fuel last year and the next you hope to stay a few days, but you never know a guy. guy could be on a fishing trip in northern Canada and you're not going to get him until next week. So I'm going to reach out to everybody in the next week um, to introduce myself, to to listen to them about what they're looking for, not just as players, but as people, and, um, and try to get a really good sense of the players who want to come back, the players who are looking for different opportunities, and to refine the returning player list. Um, one thing that I think is... Uh, good is I think that we'll probably get some players from Manchester we had a really good group of people there um, and so we'll look to get a few of those players and then of course we're going to hit the open marketplace on July 1 um, there's a lot of players who will not get contracts in the American League or NHL that they're hoping to and we want to be a place that they can look at and say if I go to Indy I can be what Nick Moutry is for Rockford Nick Moutry played for us last year in Manchester goes to Rockford now he's back and re-signed with them again for, for next year. Um, We want our players to be uh, coming here with the expectation of growing and developing, and we want those players who might not get that NHL deal, might not get that AHL deal that they're looking for, feeling this is a place where I can win a lot of games, I'm going to be treated really well, I'm going to have a great place to live, we're going to have great ownership, and I'm going to improve as a player, and and that's what we'll be uh, spending a lot of time on this summer.
0: As a Midwesterner, how uh, good is it to be back close to home? Obviously, we mentioned at the top you're from Milwaukee. You're a five-hour drive essentially from your hometown, but you're also close to Chicago. And How much of a selling point is that as well to be able to uh, encourage players to come to Indianapolis because of the fact that there's so much passion for hockey here?
1: well I, I think for me personally being closer to home is great. I mean I look at the text messages I got I mean of course I told my brother and, and my uh, people close to me that I was taking this job, but I didn't uh, they're Hawks fans mm-hmm. and so this is this is fun this is exciting for them I'm sure we'll have a, a good number of them uh, come to come down to a game which I think is fantastic uh, so for me that that personal part is great. Uh, but I look at this as a fertile recruiting ground. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you talk about Indiana high school basketball and how IU and Purdue can, can recruit locally. Mm -hmm. Um, well, you got the Big Ten for hockey that you can recruit Mm -hmm. from. You've got the NCHC, just not all of them are here, but they're close. You got a lot of WCHA schools. Mm -hmm. So you got a, a good, fertile recruiting ground of, um, and then you go back to the brand recognition that mm-hmm. a city like Indianapolis gives. And the atmosphere that the players know about the hockey community is very small. And so I believe that we're going to be able to quickly uh, convey that message as to who we are, what we're going to do, how we want to play. And I'm optimistic it'll be attractive for players to come here.
0: If you had a chance to take a look at the rest of the Central Division, I think you played a couple of those teams in Manchester this year. And uh, what the competition going to be like.
1: It's tough division. Yeah. It's a really tough division. Uh, you know what? But so was the North last year. Mm-hmm. Um, the playoffs in the North, uh, every single team going to the last week of the season was still in it, uh, the mm-hmm. seven teams. So it will be similar. Pro hockey is congested. You look at the NHL every single year, you look at there's four or five teams right at the bottom of the a, of a standings, and they're fighting for one playoff spot or two mm-hmm. playoff spots or four playoff spots, and they're jockeying around. Uh, Of course, Toledo, um, going to the Kelly Cup Finals, they're going to return a lot of really good players. They've got a great organization. They do a nice job. Fort Wayne's going to have a new coach. Uh, Ben Boudreaux will be uh, given a lot of resources in Fort Wayne. Um, They've got a consistent history of winning. You look at Cincy, great coach with Matt Thomas, um, another major league city that can recruit well. Uh, Coach Bavis in Wheeling. Um, he's got a really strong network and is really well thought of in New England. So you look at him as somebody who's going to be able to bring a lot of people from uh, the East Coast to his team, but also uh, get the support of the Pittsburgh Penguins because they do a really good job there. And then Kalamazoo, um, they have been around and have been a strong hockey brand my entire life. Mm -hmm. And so people know that if they go there, they're going to have a good experience as well. So you look at that group and you're like, geez, where do we slot in? Um, I like
0: it, though. I like
1: the fact, I like the challenge. I look at us as a team as uh, a little bit of an open book, and uh, we're looking forward to to writing those pages.
0: What else would you like to share with the fans here in Indy?
1: I'm excited to be here. Um, My wife is excited to be here. Um, We're really appreciative of the opportunity that Jim has given us, Um, and I can assure you that he is as passionate as they are about uh, winning, and they should take that to bed Mm -hmm. every night knowing that, Um, There's an excitement and a commitment to putting a consistent winner on the ice. And for me, uh, as a coach, that's what you want. You want the resources and you want the opportunity. We have that here, and uh, we're excited to get going.
0: Uh, just one last question. Tell us something about you that the typical fan uh, might not know. I know you wrote your uh, master's thesis on the Green Bay Packers oh. and their marketing uh, strategy, uh, which uh, I thought was yeah, kind of yeah. interesting, but uh, that obviously shows a lot of a lot of passion as well. And due
1: diligence on your part. <laughs> to, uh, uh.
0: Yeah. But what's something else uh, that maybe is interesting about you that fans might not know?
1: I wonder where you dug that one up. That's a good one. Uh, obviously, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. If you're from Wisconsin, it's a birthright. Um, that and having a Hall of Fame quarterback since mm-hmm. I was 13 to now, uh, I've had a Hall of Fame quarterback. Hopefully, that never ends. Uh, I'm a diehard Brewer fan. Um, I really one thing I do think that I can do is I can understand sports fan passion because mm-hmm. I have it in other sports. In hockey, you're just you're so ingrained in what you're doing. Um, but the one thing that I would say, probably the most interesting note that I've done in recently is I got to my 50th state before my 40th birthday. And that was a goal of mine. Um, and to see the, to see the U S and see a lot of really fun places and met a lot of cool people. And, um, and so that's a part for me. I love traveling. I love seeing the world, meeting new people and having new experiences. So long may that continue. And here's another one living in the Hoosier state and being back in big 10 country.
0: Thanks a lot, coach. Great to meet you. Likewise. Thanks so much. And that is Indy Fuel head coach Doug Christensen, really looking forward to working with him and having him be at the helm of this team in the 2019-20 season. If you want to join us, head on over to IndyFuelHockey.com or call 317-925-FUEL and reserve your season tickets for the 2019-20 season and join us for 36 exciting nights at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum. This is the broadcast voice of the fuel, Andrew Smith. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. Thanks for going under the hood with the Indy Fuel. For more, keep visiting indiefuelhockey.com.